Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? So the last two weeks, listen, I, I love my job. I'm not one of those people that just loves to get out of work. Uh, I miss this. When I'm not here, I miss doing this, and, and so I, I love it. But I, I had a great uh, two weeks. If you were following me on Instagram, you know a little bit about what was happening. Uh, we uh, were able to take our pastoral team with us, and we did something called the Footsteps of Paul. And uh, we found out Paul went to Rome, too. So we're going to have to go back and go to Rome, uh, the book of Romans. We're going to study that up close. But actually, what we were doing, this was mostly in Greece, one day in Turkey, uh, going to so many places where Paul actually walked. And it's just an amazing thing to stand in the ruins of Philippi and, and to walk along a road called the Ignatian Way and to know Paul walked, like, right here. And to be able to stand in the place where he made the proclamation in the city of Philippi, to go to Corinth, you know, he wrote the books of the Bible to the Corinthians. We went to Ephesus in Turkey, which is where the book of Ephesians was written to, and just so more. I mean, it was, it was amazing to be able to stand on Mars Hill in Athens where he said, hey, look, I walked through your city and you've got all of these gods, and you've even got an unknown God. Let me tell you who it is. It was, it was amazing to get to do this. And, uh, you know, the, the other part of this, it was like a, a holy vacation because everything just went perfectly. Anybody ever had one of those trips, like your vacation, just, just, it just goes perfectly? Maybe you've had one of those vacations where it didn't go perfectly because uh, you go on vacation, you come home and say, we shouldn't have done that. It was so painful, wasted. That's because we, we go to crowded places with crazy people, or maybe you went with a crazy person, which if you did that, that's on, your, that's on you. You know, we, we've got marriage counseling. If, uh, you know that. <laughs> but, so here's the thing. We were on this tour with all these other pastors and their wives, and, and everybody there was a, a believer. They, they loved Jesus, and they all were excited to see what God was doing in their lives. Kind of had, uh, like, we're all on the same goal. And, and the trip was led by a, a retired pastor, seminary guy who teaches on Paul, who's married to a Greek woman. And so her goal for us was to experience all of the greatest food that Greece has to offer. So for two weeks, every meal was like a five-course meal. We never even had to look at a menu. She would just say, look, this is what I had when I was a kid growing up. She'd pick out the best restaurants. So we never went to a bad restaurant, never had to figure out what to order and order the wrong thing. All the food was always there. Never had to drive in crazy traffic. We had a, an awesome bus driver named Theodore who could do amazing things with a really big bus and tiny little streets of Athens. I still don't, I think he defied physics. Never even had to carry our bags. They had people take our bags off of the bus and take them upstairs. Did I mention the food yet? Baklava and chocolate, I'm just telling you. And at this point, I know some of you are like, shut up. It was an amazing two weeks. And the reason I'm saying that is not to just like make you jealous and rub it in, but to, to say we all wish life was like that all the time, don't we? See, I'm kind of making a point here. The problem is life is not like that all the time. My two weeks came to an end and I'm back home. And uh, we came back home to uh, the misery of, of a renovation we were doing that, that had a, went a little awry right before we left uh, because we were having some drywall put up and, and we're living in the house and, and the guy that was doing it promised that he would tape up plastic when he sanded. And 
And I guess by that he meant he would tape a little bag up to the wall. And, then, and so, so dust went everywhere in our house. We're opening drawers and dust is there. And, and it, was, it was just pretty bad. And so we, then we just packed and got on the plane and found sheetrock dust in our clothes. We got there and came back home to sheetrock dust everywhere. And, and, and it's just a mess. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you've got whatever. It, it might be a, a problem with a person. It might be the fact that tomorrow is Monday and you got to go back to work at a job you may not like. The, the truth is, we would all love for life to be like this amazing vacation where every person is forgiving, every person is full of grace, every person around you loves God. You don't have to think about anything. All of the bad stuff is weeded out. I mean, we, we'd love that. But life's not always like that. And a lot of times we're facing some real difficulties where we, we think like everybody or everything is against us. And so as we're closing out our series on Psalms today, what I, I want to do is, is give you a psalm. It's a short psalm, but something that you can come back to when you're having some of these really bad days, something that you can lean on when things aren't going so well. And uh, if you're here for the first time or if reading the Bible is new to you, uh, there's a whole collection of, of songs and poems that we call psalms in the Old Testament. And there's 150 of them. And uh, so when we talked about just preaching three of them, we had plenty of choices, right? 147 of them still out there. And uh, most of them, or many of them, were written by a guy named David, King David. And uh, David is pretty special because he's the only person that God ever said, this is a man after my own heart. And he's also so much like us in the fact if you've ever read Psalms on one page, it's like, God, you're amazing. And then in the next page, God, why have you left me? You know, those kinds of things. And, and so it helps us to realize when we're having bad days, we can be honest with God about it. And then we can also, even though we're having a bad day, still tell God that he's awesome and that he's great. And, and so I, I think David really helps us in that struggle. But David also knew what it was like to have some really bad days. You see, when David was just a young boy, uh, the, the Samuel came and, and uh, said, hey, I'm going to anoint um, one of the boys to be king. And uh, his, his dad didn't even think David was worthy to be considered. So he, he brought in all of his other sons and left David out in the field. It turns out that David was the one that God picked. And so we already see he's neglected by his dad and not believed in very much. And then, then he goes on to be named the next king. And well, it turns out the current king figured that out and felt threatened and tried to kill him. So he has to go and run and hide in caves and, and live in caves and live off of the land with the, the nation that he's supposed to lead, the army coming against him and the king coming against him. And then someday his own son turns against him and tries to take the throne. You guys understand what a bad day? I mean, David kind of so, so as he wrote this psalm that we're going to get into today, I want you to kind of understand this guy knows what it's like when you are having a really bad day. He's, he's had his share. So we're on Psalm 27 today is the one that we're talking about. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with us. If not, it's going to be right here on the screen. But it starts with an incredibly famous verse. Verse 1, you've probably heard it, even if you didn't know this is where it was from. Some of you can quote it. And David starts out by saying, the Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so before we go on, I just want to talk about these three words that you see underlined right here because they're everything that he's basing this talk off of. He starts by using the word light, saying the Lord is my light. 
And, and what light does is it illuminates the darkness. Duh, you knew that, of course. You didn't need me to tell you that. But what that means is it changes how we see everything. Because if it were completely dark in here, you wouldn't see anything. You would run into people or stub your toe or whatever because we've got no windows. I mean, I've been in here during the week when no lights are on. It is dark. So we turn lights on and it changes what we see. It changes how we see. Because right now we've got normal lights on and you, you can see everybody go, oh, I like the color of your shirt. And, and, and I've got on like a, a purple thing. I hope it looks purple from there because it is, it is purple. But we, we could actually change the light. And if the light changed, it would change your perspective. So just for the fun of it, let's see what you guys think of green. If we had a green world, isn't that cool? What would you think of a great, you know, I don't know what color this looks like anymore, you know, and, and the person beside you, I don't know what you think of them, but right now every one of you looks pretty sick to me. <laughs> and I don't mean sick like in a cool, awesome way. I mean like, let's, let's, and we could change it to something else, I think. We can do pink. Will pink look better for some of you? How, what do you, th there you go, see? All right, let's go back to normal. Because see, here's what happens. When we look through something, light determines everything. And so what David is saying is, God, you are what I see through. You are what causes me to see good or bad. Because just like that light caused you to see pink or green, David is saying, I can look out there, I can open up my tent, and I can see enemies that want me dead. Or I can see something completely different. So he goes on to say, you are my light, you are my salvation. We talk about salvation, it simply means what is our hope to deliver? What do we think is going to get us out of our mess? And the truth is, for most of us, what we think is going to deliver us is ourselves. It's our intelligence, it's our strategizing, it's our finances, it's our creativity, it's, it's, it's our hard work ethic, it's our determination, we will not give up, whatever it is. And so when, when something's not going well, we're like, all right, I, I can do this. I'll be honest with you, I, and I'm a pastor and I'm the one preaching on this, so you'd think that I've got it right, but I'm just going to go ahead and confess, I don't have this right. I'm one of the first people that, that is going to try to figure out how to be my own salvation, as soon as I face something difficult, I'm going to, I'm, I'm just naturally, my will start turning. I'm a strategist. It's who I am inside. So I'm going to start strategizing. How can I get this done? How can I change this? How can I defeat this problem? How can I solve this? Whatever. And I don't usually go right to saying God is my salvation. He's, he's my hope to get me out of this. I, I tend to think I'm going to get me out of this. Anybody with me, right? It's kind of, and I don't even go to God usually until after I've failed about three times and figure out, oh my goodness, I guess I don't quite have the answer. And he goes on to say, the Lord is my stronghold. Stronghold is where we find our protection when everything is coming against us. What is going to make us feel secure? And for some of us, our salvation is almost the same thing that we want for our stronghold. A lot of us run to our finances, we think, I can make my world secure. I can put enough here and do enough there and, and buy what I need. And, and I can create a world where everything is going to be fine. And if, if it's not your finances, then you think it's your people skills. Well, you know, I can, I can talk anybody into anything or out of anything or, you know, whatever. We've all got something that we think will be the thing that protects us when everything is coming against us. But David is making it very, very clear. None of those things come from me and my abilities. My salvation is not in the size of my army. My, my stronghold is not in the fortress that I'm, I'm in because he didn't have one, right? He's saying, look, the Lord is my light. 
The Lord is what I see. I, I, I could see other stuff, but when I see that, I choose to see what God sees. He illuminates my problems. He illuminates and gives me a perspective. He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What am I going to be afraid of? If God is the one giving me what I'm going to see, if God is my hope to deliver me, if God is my protection and my stronghold, of what shall I be afraid? Whom shall I be afraid? Wouldn't you like to say that? Wouldn't you like to be able to say every day I wake up, man, this is going to be a hard day. I'm not afraid. I got this. I can't say that. If anybody in here says, I can say that every day, every time I have a problem, I'm just like, man, the Lord is my light. Whom shall I fear? I'm just cool. I got this. No. But here's the thing. Since none of us can say, this is my automatic response. This is what I say every time a difficulty comes. Since we can't say that, how many of you would like to say, let's make that my goal? Who would like this to be a life goal that when difficulties come your way, that you'll be able to say what David said in verse 1? He goes on and, and uh, explains how we can get there. In verse 2 and 3, he says, Look, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Now, that, that's some pretty harsh language, which tells you that the things that, that David is facing, the difficulties and the people that are after him, they're serious. This is big stuff. And he goes to say, Though an army even encamped against me, uh, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, I will be confident. Again, this is not something that we typically can say every day, but it is what we want to be able to say. So, so David, if this is what we're, we're going to get to where we can say what you're saying, David, we want to be like you. How do we get there? How do you say this? The, the good news is you, you really don't even need me today. David just says it all in the psalm. If you just keep reading, everything is right in front of you. So he explains why he's so confident. He explains why he has no fear when everything is going wrong in verse 4 and 5 and 6. He says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now... My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. His answer for when everything is going wrong, I will be good because he is in God's presence. That's the answer for everything for him. All I want, one thing I ask of God is to dwell in his presence. Because in his presence, he will lift up my head. In his presence, he will cover me with his tent. In his, if I can just get to his presence, everything is good. I, I look out my tent and I see a problem. The world is coming against me. But if I can just go over here to where his presence is, then all of my problems go away. Now, let me help us understand the context here, because when David was writing this, and David was on the earth, the presence of God was considered to be found in a box, and they carried this box around. It was the Ark of the Covenant, and so they, at this time, had this in a tent, literally in a tent. And so, for David to be in God's presence, he, he couldn't be in his tent, and he couldn't be away from wherever everything else was. What he had to do is actually walk somewhere and go into this tent to say that I can feel the presence of God. But if you guys were here just, just a few weeks ago, we were doing a series called God Within, and we understand we have something David didn't. 
We've got the presence of God here. If you are a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the presence of God is with you every moment of every day, everywhere. But you want to know the truth? Even though the presence of God is literally here, even though the presence of God is theologically here, we sometimes are further practically from the presence of God than David was when he had to walk somewhere. Because there is so much noise in our lives. There is so much fear in our hearts. There, there is so much that just separates us from the very thing that is literally right here. The presence of God. We don't have to struggle to go somewhere. But even though all we've got to do is sit down and say, God, you're here, help me. It's usually one of the last things we do. Because we start thinking, let me go to this person. Let me, let me talk to somebody. Let me solve this problem. I've got this idea. And, and like I told you, I, I go to strategizing and, and giving it my best shot and figuring out what it, And it takes when we run out of every option before we finally go to where we could have started. In the presence of God right here and say, okay, God, I need you. You know, and it, we don't even have to come into this room. Sometimes we think, well, the presence of God is at the church. The church is a special place. This is just a warehouse. But special things do happen when God's people come together. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When we were uh, praying this morning over this time, uh, it, the thought just hit me uh, about the greatness of this moment. I don't know if you think about that sometimes. The, the greatness of the moment of coming together with God's people and, and being in his presence. Again, yes, his presence dwells within you. But imagine when we all come together and say, God, we want you to do something in this place at this time. And, and that demonstrates a hunger for God to move. If you've ever seen on the other side of that wall, it says expectation is invitation. If you expect God to do something, you are inviting him to do something. And it even asks the question, what do you expect God to do today? And so when we come together, you know, we are so blessed that out of God's goodness, out of God's graciousness, out of his mercy, out of his love, out of his forgiveness, that we as imperfect, unholy people are able to walk right into his presence with a smile on our face and not even think sometimes about how special it is, the privilege that we have. Or how great his presence is. You know, we, we walk in here just high-fiving each other. Hey, man, how you doing? Shaking hands, getting our coffee, you know. We're just chilling. Like, I was walking in the presence of God with a cup of coffee in here. You know, and it's okay. But in the Old Testament time, the, when, when David was, was writing this, the only person that could actually go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest part of the temple where the, the presence of God dwelt, was one person. It was the high priest of the, the whole nation of Israel. One person, and he, he could only do it once a year. One person, one day a year. And, and check this out. When the high priest, that one day a year, would go into the holiest presence of God, they would tie a rope around his leg. Because it's just possible he didn't tell us the truth about some stuff he did. It's just possible that he might be a little bit of a sinner. It's just possible he's not holy enough to be in God's presence. And God's presence could strike him dead. 
And we've got to be able to drag him back out because ain't nobody else going in after him. You know, it's like, dead. I ain't going in there. You, get, you just leave him in there. We don't want to leave bodies around. That's not a good thing. So they tied, seriously, I'm not making this up. They tied a rope around so they could pull him out. And no one in here was, today was like, where's my rope? Somebody tied a rope around my leg. Honey, if I don't make it back out, I'm sorry for what I said about you this morning. You know, that kind of, we just, and I'm glad we can do this. We just lift our heads up, high five, grab our coffee, and go, I'm in the presence of God. And that is awesome that we have that kind of freedom and that kind of understanding of God's love and mercy. But I think sometimes that we can lose sight of the reverence of being in the presence of God. And so not only in a place where we're inviting him to do something, but we also can lose sight of the reverence for the presence of God that dwells with us, his spirit all the time. And so when David says, look, I, I've got no problems when I get into God's presence, and we're carriers of it. We're carriers. You walk into work and somebody says, hey, we've got a problem. And you should be able to look at, no, we don't because Jesus is with me. I mean, seriously, I mean, that sounds a little cheesy. Maybe don't say it because they'll pick on you for it. But you can think it. You can think it like, tell me what it is. I bet we've got a, I've, we got a solution here. And you're thinking, of course we do. I've got the presence of God. Whatever it is that I see when I look out there, God's got that. And so now that he's in the presence of God, he lifts up a prayer. Starting in verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. By, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. So my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And, and, and I love this part because even though he is so confident in God's grace and mercy, he doesn't forget that it's a privilege that God allows him to be there. So he starts saying, so hide not your face from me, and turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. You see, it, it's such a place of humility to say, God, I know you love me, I know you're with me, but I'll tell you what, I know you could take that away if you wanted to. It's not in your nature, I understand that, but I'm not going to lose sight of that, and I'm still going to say, God, thank you. Please let me come into your presence. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And again, if you remember when he was a boy and, and Samuel was coming to anoint one of the sons, king, all of the other brothers were included, but not him. I think there were issues with his dad early in life somehow, just some things that probably weren't there. And the commentators and the, the, the people who study this, the scholars don't believe that his father and mother have literally turned against him. But I think he knew emotionally what it felt like to have something not right in that relationship. And he did have his own son try to take the throne away at some point. So I think what he's saying here is, look, when the people that are closest to you, when the people you want to depend on the most, when the people that you should be able to count on the most either have turned against you or at least it feels like they have, well, God, at least I know you're still with me. And don't miss this last part of his prayer here because this is really, really important. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. You know, every day you turn on the news. I used to love watching the news probably like 15 years ago in my life. I just thought it was good to always know what's going on. And 
Uh, I don't know. I just hate watching the news now. There's, uh, it's just, just, I don't know. Maybe my, my parents said the same thing. I guess every generation kind of feels like it's just all bad news, just whatever. But you turn on the news and, and it's just constantly someone who has done something disappointing. And it's someone we're supposed to be able to trust or respect, and, and now they're no longer trustworthy or respectable. Uh, and as a result of their choices, they are now losing uh, their position, or they're losing their job, or they're losing their families, or, or whatever, because they, they've, they've made some ungodly choices in life. And, and David is saying, look, because of my enemies, lead me on a level path. I don't need to give them any help. There is someone or something waiting to take me out. He goes on to say, look, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. They're making up lies. They're trying to take me down with stuff that's not even true. The last thing I need to do, God, is to give them something legitimate to point at me. Lead me on a level path. Because the least that I need, the least that I can have is you and your favor because I'm living a life that makes you want to back me up in this battle against them. Lead me on a level path. But we're, we're notorious for expecting God to save us from our unlevel path foolishness, right? Come on, anybody? Like, I, I, I'm notorious personally for speeding. I just think that life is short. I've got things to do. I don't have time to spend in between the things that I've got to do. And, and but so I've seen my share of blue lights. There was even a point in college I've I've repented slightly a little somewhat. But there was a yeah, there was a point in college where if I got another ticket, I was losing my license. That, that's where I began to slow down just a little bit. So I, I've seen some blue lights, let's just say that. But here's what would happen every time. And, and don't laugh at me because you do it too. But you're, you're driving along, you're speeding, you know you're speeding, you see blue lights, and your first two words are, oh God. <laughs> your next two words are, help me. It's like, why should I help you? There were signs, speed limit. Big numbers. I gave you eyeballs. I gave you a brain. I gave you the ability to choose. You chose that. Now why are you saying, God help me? We, we, we were teenagers and we lied to our mama. And, and then we're like, God help my mama not find out. Seriously? You think like that? David says, look, there's already false witnesses. There are people trying to take me down. So God, please lead me on a level path because I, I need your favor in my life and your favor is going to be a part of godliness. I need you backing me up, not trying to correct me. I don't have, I don't have time for that. I got too many other people trying to, to take me down. Got enough problems in my life already. I mean, you guys know the Bible reminds us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Because you have an adversary, and he prowls around like a, a lion looking for someone to devour. Don't give him an extra opportunity. Just by being a child of God, you have a target on your back. And he would love to see you destroyed. He would love to see you defame the name of God. Because you got the little church bumper sticker on the back of your car, and then you end up doing something that defames God. He would love for that to be the opportunity. We can't give him that chance. He's already waiting. He will take you out for nothing fair, nothing that you ever did wrong. We sometimes think that there are perfect rules by which the devil plays. The devil doesn't fight fair. 
The devil doesn't follow the rules. If the devil followed the rules, he would still be in heaven as one of the three chief archangels. So we need to stop having the idea that our enemy is playing by a perfectly good set of rules. Now, he is not playing fair. He will do anything he can to make sure. The Bible says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose for you. David says, come on, God, if you don't help me, keep me on a level path because I'm a foolish person. I could make some mistakes. Matter of fact, David's going to make a lot more mistakes. David's going to make some serious mistakes in his life. David's going to commit adultery. David's going to commit murder. David's going to be a pretty bad father. And he's saying, look, I, I don't need to give the enemy any more help. Lead me on a level path. We need, when we're facing some really difficult things, to stop for a moment and think, am I making this worse? Am I creating part of God, help me. Help me to make sure I'm not the problem in this problem. Help me to be like you. And so one of the things that I, I love to do when I'm speaking is always just to give you practical. What do you do with this? What do you do? And uh, the good news, once again, David has made this so easy. All I have to do is, is tell you what he chose and, and what he says next. And his response at this point, remember, everything is against him. He's having some really bad circumstances. And his answer to this is to choose faith. He ends the psalm with these words. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's a choice. It's a daily, moment-by-moment -moment choice to say, I believe. Let me tell you why I think David wrote this psalm. I don't think David wrote this because he just wanted to show off. You know, I mean, it sounds like somebody who's got it all together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I don't fear anybody. I got this. The Lord is my stronghold. I'm not afraid. It comes across a little arrogant if you think about it. Except I don't think he wrote it as a declaration of arrogance. I think he wrote it as a reminder to himself. I think he opened up the flap of his tent, and this might have been one of the days that he saw an army encamped against him. And he went back into his tent and went, oh my God, wait, no, 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 I'm not going there. The Lord is my light. Come on, David, the Lord is your light. Just like Greg was preaching two weeks ago when he said, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. In other words, talking to himself. Hey, self, bless the Lord. I, I think what David's doing here is he's, he's reminding himself of what he needs to know. I, I saw that with natural eyes, but the Lord's my light. I, I'm going to let him illuminate the difficulties of my life. I, I'm not going to be afraid. He's going to be my hope. I, that army looks bigger than my army, but I'm not worried about it because he's my salvation. You know what? I'm in a tent. It's pretty easy to kill me in a tent. I don't have brick walls, don't have a fortress, but he's my stronghold. And because this is such a short little psalm, I want to encourage you, maybe if you've still one of those people like Rachel here, got, got paper, got a paper Bible, you maybe turn down the corner of that page, you know. And whenever life is throwing a really bad day at you, read this say, you know, God, it's, I need your help to be able to say this, but you're my light. I'm not going to be afraid. You're my salvation. I, I'm not going to be afraid. 
You're my stronghold. You're going to get me through this. I just want to be in your presence. The only thing I want, God, is to be in your presence. If I can be there, you're going to lift me up against the difficulties. God, if you'll just, if you'll just help me walk a path that honors you, you're my light. You're my salvation. I preached this as a, a part of another series many, many years ago. And uh, I, I, it was actually to start off the year. And I was saying, you know, if we could begin our day every day this year reminding ourselves God's our light. He's the perspective and, and God's our salvation and God's our stronghold. I think we'd have the best year ever. And so I, I encouraged us as a church for, for everybody to talk about light. Encourage this as a church for, um, for us to read it every single day. And, and to my knowledge, only one person in the church read Psalm 27 every single day for that year. Anybody want to guess who that was? I didn't even do it. Read it a lot. But it was so encouraging because if you've ever been around Kent, whatever scripture he's reading, he's, he's always quoting, he's always bringing it into life. And and he would just walk into a room and smile and say, you know what? I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because what David meant by, I'm going to see this in the land of the living, sometimes you could say, oh, look, there's a big army. I'm about to die, but I'm going to see the goodness of God when I get to heaven. He said, nope, this day ain't that day. This day, God's going to deliver me because I'm going to see his goodness on this side of heaven. I'm going to see his goodness in the land of the living. I, this isn't the end for me. I know what I'm facing. It, it's, not, it's not done. I'm going to see more of God's goodness before I get to heaven. And it just encouraged me all that year. when Kim, That was his favorite line from the whole song. He just keep walking around going, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you know what we need to do sometimes? Choose faith. We need to look at whatever is trying to make our lives miserable, whatever the bad day is, whatever the person is that you think is against you or the circumstances that are against you, and just go, you know what? This is in the end. I don't care how bad this day is. I choose to believe. I will see the goodness of the Lord this side of heaven. I'm going to see another good day. Okay, so I, I, I lost that job, but you know, I'm going to have another one. God's going to bless me. Okay, so that relationship is having a difficulty. God's going to heal it. I'm going to see his goodness. You see, the enemy really wants us to forget the goodness of God. And I want to encourage you. One of the things that I, I did this week, uh, and it was, I didn't know I was going to preach this, so it, it tied in perfectly after the fact. But I, I had such a great two weeks, that trip that I was talking about, that I really just felt like, thanking God for his goodness to me. And so I sat down in my journal when I got home and I just started listing his goodness. And I think we need to do this more often because we need to be able to look back or to look down and see how good God has been. God, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for a great two-week vacation. I thank you for my family. I Thank you for my wife. I thank you for my kids. I thank you for my house. I thank you for my car. I mean, I was just everything that I'm looking at in my life and going, you know what? God has blessed me. Because the more that we realize we've seen God's goodness, the more that we can choose faith that we will see his goodness again. But some of us, our perspective, our light, 
is, oh my, I've got a problem. Oh my, this is not going well. Oh my, I'm afraid. So he finishes by saying, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. I think it's a good reminder to all of us, to himself, out of everything we just said, now, sit still and let God show up. Let your heart come to a place of believing that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And my hope for you is that when you face difficulties, that you will be able to to choose faith. You will be able to go back to the good things that God has done and say, you know what, you, you were there then, you'll be here now. I will see your goodness. This is a bad day, this is a hard day, but tomorrow I will see your goodness. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that you are a good God, that we can trust you to show up again and do another great thing that you can once again deliver us. You can once again be our protection. You will once again show us how to see things differently. You you are amazing. You have been so good to us. God, I pray that you will cause us to be people who look upon your goodness, who will cause us to be people who will choose faith when everything looks like there's no hope. But you'll be our light. You will be what we see. You'll be our salvation. You're our hope. You'll be our stronghold. You'll be what we trust in. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that you haven't made Jesus your king yet. There are many reasons that maybe you've put this off or maybe today's the first time you're being told that Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of all your sins and he was raised from the dead so that you too could be raised to eternal life and have perfect fellowship with the Father. But this isn't something that happens just because you're a human. It requires every single one of us at some point in history to say, thank you, Jesus, you died for me. And if you've never done that, if you've never embraced the free gift of salvation, I want to help you do that right now. Right where you're seated, I'm just going to lead you in a conversation with him. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.